Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is someone that I have a lot in common with because she has written the book, The Bullied Brain. Uh, Jennifer Frazier is founder and CEO of The Bullied Brain. She's an award-winning educator, best-selling author, and disruptive whistleblower. Her most recent book, The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health, hit the shelves in April of 2022. Jennifer debunks myths around bullying, abuse, health, and performance with science. Thank you for for coming to the show, Jennifer. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So I'm really excited. You and I just had a really great conversation about bullying. Um, For those of you who know, I I wrote my memoir, The Lotus Tattoo, One Woman's Grit from Bully to Redemption, because I was a bully um, because of the abuse that I had been through. Uh, Jennifer has a different uh, spin on bullying and the bullying brain, um, and she works, she partners with neuroscientists to talk about bullying. So Jennifer, why don't you tell us about your journey and how you started your company and, uh, and your book? Well, as we were talking about before, Marissa, I look at the mind of the person that's been highly abusive to children. So I look at what is going on in their brains from a medical point of view. So there's no moral approach in my book. I'm not talking about people as good and bad. I think that that's really outdated language. It's like talking about someone with a physical illness as if it's uh, something wrong or evil um, within them. Because as we know now, there's been at least 30 years of research that shows that we are born with brains that have neuroplasticity. And what that means is if you grow up in a home or you go to a school or you play on a sport team and the powerful adult in a position of trust and authority is highly abusive towards you, it will shape your brain in a very specific way. It actually does a lot of damage. And that adult that's doing the behavior is simultaneously damaging their own brain with every single time they default to this aggressive, harmful, humiliating behavior, they're hurting their own brain. So what I try to do is look at the cycle. I'm really interested in the system and the way the system enables this type of aggressive, destructive, manipulative behavior, and, and it does. I mean, I have lived experience on two occasions Um, witnessing that all the people that say they have zero tolerance for bullying actually are the enablers of bullying. And that really needs to change if we want to have a healthy society. We don't have a healthy society right now. We have youth populations that are so rife with mental illness, we've never seen anything like it. And that's not on them. That's an adult problem. It is epidemic proportions. I truly think that neuroscience is an, a really inspiring, informing way to change how we do things and to get ourselves all better. So what are, what are some of the reasons, so when you say neuroscience, a lot of people probably don't know what that is, right? So how did, what made you go the route of working with neuroscientists and, and how does that benefit um, when you talk about 
you know, bullying in general? Well, I had been a teacher um, for years. I taught at university, I taught college, I taught at private schools, um, university prep schools, this kind of thing. And I had an eight-year-old and the teacher called us in in grade three and she said, you know, your son, he's so smart, he's so articulate, he can read perfectly, he reads out loud, but when he goes to write the test on the, on the book that the kids have been reading, he's not answering the questions properly. He's just making up information as if he hasn't read the book. So we were like, hmm. So we took our son to an educational psychologist and she did an assessment and it called a psych ed assessment. And she came back to us and she said, you know, I have some really kind of concerning news. Your son is off the charts, genius material in auditory learning, which means he can learn everything that's spoken to him. He retains it perfectly. It's like a photographic memory, but only for sound. She said, visual information is not retained in his brain. He has less than zero uh, less than 0.1% ability to retain visual information. And as you know, our school system, our work world, it's very visual. So we ended up doing a bunch of research, trying to figure out, you know, this crisis, what are we going to do? Um, and we ended up putting him in a school called Eaton Aerosmith. And Eaton Aerosmith School is designed for 15 to 20% of the population that does not learn in the regular visual-based or or however constructed school system way. They don't learn that way. Their brains are very unique, very different. I call it a, a learning exceptionality because I don't like the word disability. I know for a fact that's an inaccurate term. Kids have very unique brains. And our son's exceptional brain does not learn visually. And But we wanted to give him, you know, play, level the playing field and so on. So they did cognitive rewiring in his brain for four years. And by the time he came out, this kid can read anything and he never forgets it. He has the most incredible ability to retain visual information, every single minuscule detail. And he's a voracious reader. And that was where I started to think, hey, the neuroscience, wait a second, I'm a teacher. How come I don't know anything about the brain? How come I don't know how brains learn? or that they're incredibly diverse or any of these sorts of things. So I started on my own journey. And then when my older son, um, it became revealed that the students were being um, really badly bullied by teachers, um, you know, lots of homophobic slurs, swearing in the face, public humiliation, detaining for yelling in the face, just really horrendous. And um, I, I was being told um, by school system people and administrators that really it wasn't a big deal, that really it just was old school coaching or um, it was because the teachers really wanted to motivate the students. And I could feel my brain just getting very confused by this type of talk because it didn't make sense to me. So I'm a trained academic. I have a PhD in comparative literature. We are trained to not speak or certainly not write and publish without doing our research. So I turned to the research. I looked at psychology. I looked at law. I looked at education and I looked at neuroscience and the neuroscience pretty much blew my mind because what I learned is even though in our society, we normalize all forms of bullying, especially done by adults to children, um, it actually damages the brain. So you mentioned, that's really interesting, you mentioned disruptive whistleblower, right? So did you report that? And I'm just curious because, you know, that, that adds a lot of stress to an already stressful situation. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? 
So what I've been writing a series, actually, trying to unpack this, because like you, um, I do my best work when I'm writing. And when I'm trying to put down on paper my thoughts and feelings and reactions to things and you know, it's a really fabulous way to sort out default ways of thinking, um, you know, the roads in our brain that have been scripted and sculpted into our brains from all kinds of experiences. But if you've been through trauma, like you and I have, you've got some pretty serious default roads you go down. So I use writing as a technique to kind of open that up and take a really good sort of more intellectual look at what's on the paper. So um, I've been writing a blog about, I called it how I became an unlikely whistleblower because I'm not a super strong moral person. I don't have like black and white and I don't think that there's only one way to be. And it's just not my, I'm, I'm more interested in the gray. I'm interested in psychology and motivation and intention and the horrible mistakes we all make because of our scripting and how we can change that. And, you know, I think you and I really share that, Marissa. So um, how I became a whistleblower, though, was I learned, and I think we all have this, there is a, a line in the sand for me. And that line is, I can't stomach child abuse. It, I just can't. I can't stay quiet. I can't look the other way. I can't protect my job even. I can't protect my livelihood. If child abuse is occurring and those that have the power to, to protect those children aren't going to do it, then I am going to speak up until it is addressed. And still where I live, it's not ever been addressed. It went to national news front page of the Toronto Star. It went to CTV W5 investigative journalism program and it's never been addressed. And the reason why it was national news on such a massive scale was it wasn't just the school that was covering up, it was the government. It was the teacher regulation branch and they are empowered to protect children from teachers who are incompetent and teachers who are abusive and they didn't do their job. And so, I mean, it's the world we live in. We live in a world that tells children we have zero tolerance for bullying. We live in a world that celebrates, empowers, gives prestige, and publicly displays the most rampant bullying by so-called leaders in our, in our world. And that kind of mind F or uh, <laughs> is extremely unhealthy for children and adults' brains. I think it's such a great thing that you're doing. And when you think about specifically enough, the ignoring of kids being bullied in schools, as you've been talking about, it's got to stop because ultimately they allow it to happen over and over and over again. And now it never ends because it goes on to cyberbullying outside of the school. So it's a 24 seven thing for kids and it leads to so many suicides. What can we do? I, I know that in the United States are doing certain types of governance when it comes to school districts and their their bullying policies, but it's still not strong enough, I don't think. In my book and in my work and in my company, I hold adults completely and fully responsible for every bullying act that takes place in a school or in the cyberspace. Because children, it's unnatural. Children are born wired for empathy. So what we've done, and these are American doctors that have done amazing research in this field, Dr. Vincent Felitti and Robert Anda, they did the ACEs study and the adverse childhood experiences study showed in the late 90s that when children are raised in, a, they just looked at homes. They didn't look at church, didn't look at sports, didn't look at arts programs, didn't look at Boy Scouts. All those places are full of rampant abuse, rampant abuse by adults and enablers who cover it up. What they did look at was the home. 
And they look very specifically at the traumas within the home that happen to kids, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse. They looked at emotional neglect and they looked at physical neglect. And those five abusive practices within the home lead children down the path from being golden and full of golden potential for empathy, for self-regulation, for health, down the path to what uh, Dr. Vincent Felitti calls lead. He calls it reverse alchemy. You don't take lead and turn it into gold. No, in our culture, we take our golden children, we take their potential and we turn them into lead and then we condemn them for it. And in midlife, these leaden children are so full of chronic disease that they have shortened lifespans. That is our world. And we are not teaching the ACEs study to children in schools. We are not teaching them that they suffer in their homes or any other environment, bullying behaviors by adults, that they will replicate them, that they will feel the impulse to go out there and express their trauma in any way they can. Until we start teaching children about these mechanisms in their brains, they are going to be ignorant like we are, and they are going to continue down this really gut-wrenching, heartbreaking path, and the science can change that. You know, it's interesting because it's it's so true. Like the parents, the, the adults in that kid's environment, whether it's a home, the school, every every adult in that in that kid's uh, touch, right, of reach, is responsible because what happens is is you know they don't they they protect each other, and then what happens is the kids, you know, the one who's the bully, they might get to the detention, they might get expelled, right, if it comes to that. But then nothing's ever done. Like, where are the services for that kid? Because the kid's the one who's traumatized. He's being a bully. I know because I was a bully. I was a bully. I beat kids up in the first grade and I got sent to detention. But I was a bully because I was being abused at home. And and so that's why no one thinks about that. It's like, you know, I've had people read my book and go, oh, I never thought of a bully being abused. Like, that's what happens. And we're broken adults. That, you know, broken kids who have become adults and now we're parents and now we're educators and we're we're continuing to traumatize our kids, right? It's just like this vicious cycle and the kids are the ones who, who are getting the short end of the stick in this, right? Yeah, there, there should never happen in a school that a child with diabetes gets a detention or a child with a dysregulated brain gets a detention. Now, I'm all about protecting victims. There should not be... A, a grade one that's enabled to beat up other children. That's silly. No one is saying that. What we are saying is when a kid exhibits that type of behavior, we need services to get into the home. We need services to interview the child and find out, is there something going on with your doctor or maybe your coach or a sibling, parents, we need to get you the help that you need. If your parent is violent with you at home, if they're emotionally abusive where they put you down every time you turn around, if they if there's sexual abuse happening, substance abuse, if there's any of those things, the parent needs help. They should not be raising the child alone and just extracting the child all the time and putting them elsewhere is not a solution. We need to become much more, um, you know, what indigenous cultures were like back in the day before the settlers arrived and scrambled their system. They really parented as a community. And we need to start having those kinds of supports for one another. You know, if a teacher is abusive or a coach is abusive, they need to self-identify and say, you know what, I need rehab. If they were an alcohol alcoholic, we would get them rehab and we would get them better and we'd bring them back to the community once they were better. 
And that's what we have to do with people that exhibit abusive behaviors. The earlier you catch that neural network, the easier it is to rewrite it as something healthy, something that that person wants for their own health and happiness and relationships. They don't want to behave that way. They're scripted. So, you know, it's, it's exactly what you and I were talking about, and it's what you teach. Um, I teach the same thing. You have to rewrite your neural networks. It, but, you know, in our society, we still use these outdated moral terms. There's stigma for mental health issues. There's stigma around bullying. We shouldn't even use that word. We should say, you know, uh, dysregulated brain. Let's get it better. Right. I love well, that. I and learn. So I was oh, go ahead, Neil. No, I was just going to say, it's just such great information, such an important thing. I think many teachers out there and parents and everyone needs to really get your book, that's for sure. And to learn about what you're finding out because it's so needed for kids, but it's so needed in school cultures that, so that these situations won't happen and so many kids that are abused every day, it stops. That's what I wanted to say. Well, you know, we all, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, we all need to learn, we all need to learn coping skills is what it is. That's what it is. You know, we need to heal and then we need to learn coping skills so we can manage our anger, manage our triggers, manage everything that comes at us. And instead of reacting, we're taking action and we're taking action towards healing and helping one another. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, imagine what the world would be like if starting in kindergarten, we started teaching children about their brains and the teachers, you know, people like me, we weren't taught about our brains. So the adults get to learn along with the kids. And how exciting is that? Because the more you know about your brain, the more you know that you have the capacity to change your brain. It's the most empowering information out there. So the best way for people to think about it is in the 1980s, there was this big breakthrough where we all went, oh, maybe if we exercised, we would have healthier, better lives. And I mean, I was raised in a culture where smoking was completely normalized. Um, your doctor would smoke while he wrote a prescription for you. Like it was your parents smoked, your grandparents smoked. Smoking was just like the normal right. thing. And then we used innovative technology. We found out, we looked with x-rays into lungs. We saw cancer. That's what neuroscientists do now. They look at brains and they see the, the beginnings of cancerous kinds of like damage that's caused by all forms of bullying and abuse, all forms, not just physical, not just sexual. Emotional abuse does incredible harm to the brain. And so if we start teaching our kids and we start teaching our teachers and our coaches and our parents, and we get excited about the fact that just like in the 1980s, we can have a brain fitness revolution. We can do brain training. We can do mindfulness. Aerobic exercise is one of the greatest healing um, things for the brain. It heals toxic stress. It makes your brain more resilient and it, it protects you against stress that's coming your way. So, I mean, there's an, in my book, I talk about all these different practices that we can do. Every single chapter has an action step that says, look, this is what the neuroscientists know about what we can do. Yeah, it's awful that we've suffered bullying and abuse, but guess what? Here's the cure. Here's the remedy. These guys in their labs, they know what to do. Let's harness it. I love that. Um, what's your, what's your favorite thing to do to heal your brain? What do you do? I know well, that's I'm, a powerful I, question. 
I do a lot of work like you do where I use I do a very specific mindfulness practice where I work to, I don't try and be in the present and I don't try and let go of interrupting um, thoughts and ideas. I don't do that type of mindfulness. I do very specific mindfulness that I came up with myself because it helps me and we all have diverse brains, but this really helps me. And I think it might help other people. What I do is I get very clear on my mind and my brain and my body, and then I help them have a healthy dialogue. So I don't let my brain tell my mind that we're in danger and that we need to pump up the stress hormone cortisol, which dismantles brain architecture. I don't let my body um, recognize sensual data as a threatening thing from my past. I get it to calm itself down. I, I acknowledge how it feels. I, I honor its power, but I'm pretty clear that the mind is in the driver's seat. The brain is the engine and the body is our incredible, miraculous vehicle for all that we do. But I always keep my mind in the driver's seat. And we work together, the three of us, every single day to ensure that that's what's happening. From a neuroscientific point of view, what you might say is when something happens, I, I want to build up in myself and my children and my students and all the adults I work with, I want to build up an emotion concept that's nuanced. I don't want to just react to whatever happens. I want to be able to go very rapidly, you know, like the speed of light, like our brains do. I want to go into my filing cabinet in the brain where I've created lots of healthy emotional reactions to things, not from my abuse, but from my, my practice. And I can choose that person's yelling at me and I'm going to choose to see them eye to eye. I'm going to respect and acknowledge their anger. I'm not going to react to it. And I'm going to ask them what I can do to help. That is a choice. That's a mindful choice. And you can do that right. with every single thing that happens. We need to teach that to our kids. I love that. That's living with intention. That's, that's the name of my program, The Art of Intentional Thinking. Everything you do is with intention. And, but you have to have that awareness of what's happening in your brain in order to do that. Because if you, can't, if you don't have that awareness, you don't really know what your intentions are. So I love exactly. that. And you also have to forgive yourself, especially our kids. You know, we're such a society, we shame children for mistakes. Well, guess what? The brain's way of learning is by making mistakes. So every mistake a kid makes is cause for celebration. Coaches should be throwing a party when someone misses a goal because that's a brain that's learning. That's a, definitely a new perspective. <laughs> Everyone's like, what? No, that's a great perspective though. I love that. So um, we're out of time. Where can people find you? Um, my website is bulliedbrain.com. I do lots of workshops, lots of consulting. Um, if you are interested in this, read my book it's called The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. It's pretty exciting what the scientists have found out. And it includes a, a living genius named Dr. Michael Merzenich, who's one of the world's leading, he's an American, but he's internationally renowned neuroscientist. And he's all throughout the book dialoguing with me. And he is just a gift to humanity. So his research is so important. If there's any takeaway from this conversation, please learn about Michael Merzenich. Terrific. Well, thank you for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp. 
at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.